Awesome. So 8.30, I mean, it's a long weekend, so I mean, I kind of know how the crowd works today, but some of the 8.30 crowd meet the 10 o'clock, some of the 10 o'clock crowd, and 10 o'clock crowd meet some of the 8.30 crowd. 8.30 crowd is very highly caffeinated, extremely happy, but somewhat sleepy. 10 o'clock is kind of middle of the road crew, all the rest of it, and the 11 o'clock people who are normally 11.30 will be completely turned upside down, because coming to church half an hour early to them, is ab- that's borderline sin, you know? It's kind of right in there. So we're messing with everybody with our new schedule, but just kind of embrace it. Let's walk along together, and uh, I'm sure it'll be a great experience. In March 2005, my wife and I ended a journey that had taken about 10 years. Down at an office that represented the Department of Homeland Security, I actually had an opportunity to stand up and do something I'd never been able to do before. I stood with great respect and a lot of emotion, put my hand over my heart, and said for the very, very first time, the Pledge of Allegiance. Had never been able to do that before, but as I finished the last phrase there, with liberty and justice for all, in that split second, I was transformed into an American citizen that was endowed with all of the rights and responsibilities that come with citizenship. For me, it was a very, very big deal because Laurel and I had spent 10 years trying to become a citizen of this country. I don't care if you're not patriotic. I tend to be because I wasn't born with the rights that I have in living with this country. I actually had to work for them. I paid a lot of money, spent a lot of time, did a lot of work in order to become an American citizen. It was a long, tough, and sometimes frustrating journey, but it was unbelievably worth it because for us, it wasn't just about citizenship. It was about being able to say that this place was home. The Bible talks about a transformation that's much more valuable than the one that Laurel and I underwent. The Bible says that every single day, sinful, broken, irreligious people are transformed into citizens of heaven by simply believing in Jesus Christ as both Lord and Savior. And that actually happens at Christ the King with startling regularity. It actually happened last night. People come in as citizens of the world and they leave as citizens of heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven, and if you love and serve Jesus, if you've had that relationship begun with him, you are a citizen of heaven as well. Even though we are brothers and sisters from different mothers, if we know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, we can all name ourselves as citizens of heaven. And so as we break out and talk today about this citizenship, let me tell you exactly what it's not, because I think that's important for us to understand. Okay, so I listed in your outline some ideas. I'm going to ask you to follow along with me. We'll start with this idea. My heavenly citizenship is not based on my knowledge. It's not based on my knowledge. 1 Corinthians 3 says this, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. You know, I think it's a really, really good thing that our heavenly citizenship is not based on knowledge because the reality is we don't know that much. Now, some of us pride ourselves in knowing an awful lot. We have a lot of Bible knowledge. My question is this. Has your Bible knowledge ever made that 18-inch drop into your heart? Because the truth is, none of us are ever going to know enough. I'd love to see us be a church that knows more than anybody else because we just so care about the Word of God and have it so saturating in our lives that we can't imagine our lives without it. But the reality is, no matter how much Bible trivia you have in your mind, that doesn't qualify you for citizenship in heaven. Let me give you an example of how this works, okay? When I became a U.S. citizen, I actually had to take a test. 
I had to answer all kinds of questions. And because you guys, most of you, I would say probably over 90% of you are actually born here, you should know the answers to all of these citizenship questions. So I'm just going to run through a couple of them and see whether or not, see whether or not you can pass your own country's test. All right? You ready? Here it comes. Number one, who's the chief Supreme Court justice of the U.S. Supreme Court that's sitting today? Of course, everybody knows that's John Roberts Jr., right? How you doing so far? All right? Question number two, who elects the president of the United States of America? Some of you would say the people do. You're wrong. It's the electoral college. How we doing so far? Next one. How many years? This is easy. How many years do we elect senators for? If you said four, you're wrong because it's actually six. All right? What are the qualifications for a person running for president of the United States? There are three of them. You have to be a natural born citizen. You have to have lived in the United States for at least 14 years. And you must be at least 35 years of age. All the young people are like, ah, not yet, okay? How many representatives sit in Congress? If you said anything less than 435, you are wrong. How many amendments are there to the U.S. Constitution? (laughs) Thanks, Raul. 27. All right, here's another easy one. Who becomes president if both the president and the vice president are unable to perform their duties? The Speaker of the House of Representatives. And what's the last one? What is the Bill of Rights? (laughs) Yes! Awesome. The first 10 amendments of the Constitution. Okay, how many of you are glad right now that your citizenship is not based on your knowledge? Because if that was true, you should all be deported to Iceland right now, okay? Get out of your own country. You don't know Jack, all right? It's not based on our knowledge. Now, believe me, get this straight, my friends. I'm not talking anti-knowledge. I think we need to become more familiar with the Word of God. I think we need to know it inside out and backwards. But your citizenship is not based on your knowledge because the reality is the smartest person in this room doesn't know enough to meet God's standard. Secondly, my heavenly citizenship is not based on my record of victories and failures. If my heavenly citizenship was based on my track record as a Christian, I would have been deported and exiled a long time ago. Isaiah 64 says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. I was a rebel before I met Jesus. There have been times, if I was honest, that I've been a rebel since I've met Jesus. And yet God still offers me citizenship inside of his kingdom. Thirdly, my heavenly citizenship is not based on my birthplace. Here's my reality. I was born on a Canadian military base in Germany to Canadian parents and now have become an American citizen. That's why I'm so confused, okay? Why it doesn't make any sense. Spiritually, I was born into sin. Broken, hurting, crippled, and without hope. But my citizenship is not of this broken world anymore. I don't care where you were born. The reality that we all share today is that we were born into sin. That's our reality. Fourthly, my heavenly citizenship is not based on my shifting moral values. Titus 3, 5, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You know, some of us in our modern world today are just really, really hoping that God grades on a curve. 
Many people think that, that God somehow is going to reward the effort of just trying to be good. But scripture tells us God doesn't work that way. Your value system as a human being is flawed no matter how hard you may work trying to get it to work in a different direction. The reason that you and I need Jesus is because he can do for us what we can't possibly do for ourselves. You can't earn your citizenship, my friends. I can't earn my citizenship in heaven. I'm going to talk about how we actually get there in just a couple of moments. But here's the bottom line that should really offend a lot of people in the room if you're working on this value system. Being good as a person is not good enough. It's not good enough. Number five, my heavenly citizenship is not based on my adherence to religious codes and rules. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. When I went to Seattle for my immigration interview to become a citizen, I went armed with lots of paper because they told me I was going to need it. I had tax receipts, birth certificates, letters of commendation. I mean, blah, 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 blah. I brought this huge stack of paper, laid it in front of the interviewer, and he said, thank you. Slid it off to the side and never looked at it once. He just wanted to know whether or not I was actually going to bring him the paper. Now, we kind of look at that and go, what an unbelievable waste of time. But isn't it amazing how often we do that with God? We show up in God's presence. Here's my church attendance record. Jesus, aren't you impressed? Look at all of the Iwana citations that I have, Jesus. I learned a lot of verses. Hey, Jesus, here's, here's my I love Jesus bumper sticker and the little fish that I had on the back of my car that made people wonder about my salvation all of the time. I can even tell you the title of my, last pa- or my pastor's last four sermons. Aren't you impressed, Jesus, with all of the paperwork that I'm bringing you? Can we just understand this maybe once and for all? Loving Jesus and doing stuff do not earn you a ticket into heaven. Do we get that? Your stuff, according to scripture, is like a filthy rag in front of the presence of an absolutely perfect and holy God. Now before you make some wrong assumptions, stick with me here. If my citizenship is not based on my knowledge, if it's not based on my birthplace, if it's not based on my adherence to a bunch of rules, if it's not even based on, on, on how much I may have a desperate love for God, then what in the world is my heavenly citizenship based on? Well, the Bible would say this. My heavenly citizenship is based on my personal relationship with the king and his gracious invitation to be his child. Colossians 1 says this, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, he has reconciled you. Doesn't say anything about us in that sentence. It says, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. You know, my earthly citizenship is a really, really big deal to me because of how hard I had to work to actually get it. I hope and pray yours is precious to you as well. I pray that you never take it for granted. I pray that you never, ever minimize it. 
I hope and pray that that on the days when you wonder about where God has placed you geographically, my hope in the same moment is that you pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ the King churches in Pakistan who are meeting at exactly the same time with the threat of their life for doing exactly what you're doing right now. And then my prayer is that you never take that freedom for granted. But then instead you'd pray for our brothers and sisters who are putting their life on the line for going to church today. You know, I hope yours is precious to you as well. But the reality is our earthly citizenship doesn't mean nearly as much as our heavenly citizenship because our earthly citizenship is temporary, but our heavenly citizenship is for eternity. There are two options when it comes to citizenship in in, in eternity. One is heaven. There is another option. There is another choice. I'm not going to be preaching about it this morning, but let me lay the bottom line for you so we all understand how the other option works. Hell is hot and forever is a very, very, very long time. And that's the other option. So this morning I'd like to have an opportunity for us to make some declarations as fellow citizens of heaven. Philippians chapter 3, Paul's talking about his life. And when he gets to the end of talking about his life, he starts talking about eternity. And these are the words that come out of him in Philippians 3, verse 12. I'm going to read a whole long chunk of scripture. You can follow along in your outline, or maybe you just need to sit and just kind of soak in it. Because this is all about us. The Bible says, not that I've already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers. And take note of those living according to the pattern that we gave you. For as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This scripture says unequivocally that if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of heaven, endowed with all the rights and responsibilities that comes with being one of those citizens. And your citizenship was not purchased by you. It was purchased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who died on a cross so that you could even have that right and have that opportunity to have a relationship with the one who actually rules over heaven and rules over earth. I've been spending some time lately reading Um, some of the the diaries of Mother Teresa. She's always fascinated me as a human being. And what I have found as I've kind of unpacked her life is that she had some unbelievably difficult faith struggles. She, She struggled at times trying to figure out why God called her to do what she was supposed to do and exactly where. I found this little quote that was written inside of the flap of one of her diaries. She wrote these words. She said, by blood and origin, I am all Albanian. My citizenship is India. 
I'm a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the whole world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to Jesus. Can you say that? Could you write that in the flyleaf of your Bible and have a clean conscience when you were done writing? As these declarations are unfolded today, my prayer is that you can walk along with me as we go through this. As a citizen of heaven, there are certain things we should be able to say. So let's walk through them together. Number one, as a citizen of heaven, I will choose to place the past behind me and press on toward the goal of Jesus. In the passage that we read, verse 13 says this, Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice something here. These are all choices. It's a choice to put your past behind you. It's a choice to press on towards the goal of Jesus Christ. And I think it's interesting that Paul would frame these choices on the basis of heavenly citizenship. Laurel and I made some difficult choices 16 years ago. We made a decision to place our past behind us and to go on an adventure in the United States of America. And it was scary because we met some opposition. When I told my family we were going to move here and become citizens of this country, that was not a popular statement. They weren't crazy about the idea that we would, in their minds, forsake our own country and come to another one. And I did my best to try and have them understand that when God calls you somewhere, you have no choice but to go. Tried to explain how how this area had become home for us. How God had made this, this wonderful little knot of people that lives in Whatcom County so unbelievably precious that we would want to spend a chunk of our life sharing with them the gospel of Jesus and the beauty of Canadian hockey. You know? Go Canucks. Woo! Right, yeah. Whatever. Let's have a riot. Okay, all right. So we met some opposition from family members. We met some opposition from the immigration system. It was not easy. I remember driving to Seattle one day to be fingerprinted and for my citizen. It literally took less than half of a second to get my fingerprint done, and then I was on my way back home again. All the way to Seattle, doop, all the way back home again. We watched our tiny little bit of home equity that we brought with, a, with us shrivel away when the Canadian dollar was worth a whopping 65 cents U.S. The story's a little different now. If you don't believe me, go to Costco, okay? It was an unbelievably tough go, but we learned some incredible lessons. We learned that when God brings you somewhere, he's already there. We learned another biblical principle that in order to get where you want to go, you've got to leave where you presently are. If you're stuck spiritually, it's because 100% you refuse to leave where you presently are. Because God is calling you to a new beginning and a new life in Christ, but you're just stuck in your old way and you won't leave. If that's you, stop complaining about it. Leave where you presently are, and God will take you where he wants you to go. But you've got to actually change locations if you're going to get where God wants you to be. Secondly, as a citizen of heaven, I will live this life as an ambassador of Jesus. 
Verse 17 from Philippians says this, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. This is my conviction. There's no Bible like human Bibles. There's all kinds of Bibles, NIV, King James, children's Bibles, women's devotional Bibles, biker Bibles, hundreds of different kinds. But I can say this with absolute certainty. The only Bible that unsaved people are taking the time to read is the Bible that's characterized by how you are living your life in front of them right now. For the most part, when it comes to unsaved people, you are the only scripture they are ever going to read. So my question is this, if your unsaved neighbor doesn't see Jesus in you and in us, how in the world are they ever going to see him? What are they reading when they look at our lives? What do they see? Do they see a group of people that are just compromising and hypocritical, telling people to march to one drum and then following their own rhythm? Christ the King, let me just get all up in your business and tick you all off before the 4th of July. Tomorrow, when you go out with your family and have a great time celebrating Independence Day, are you going to be so independent from Jesus that people are going to have no idea what passport you actually hold? Boy, did it get quiet in here. Or are you going to live so differently that they absolutely can look at you and say, that would have to be a citizen of heaven. Because they're just not motivated by everything else that's going on around here. Are we ambassadors for Jesus? Or ambassadors for the mighty republic of apathy or the monarchy of selfishness that we see spread all over this place? Can others tell by your behavior whether or not you hold a heavenly passport or not. As a citizen of heaven, you should live differently. Amen? Number three, as a citizen of heaven, I've chosen my side and will no longer live as an enemy of the cross. Verse 18 says, as often I've told you before and now, now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Some of you have heard the little phrase before. When you're in Rome, you're supposed to do what? Like the Romans do. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's bad truth. That's bad truth. It doesn't translate to this world. The reality is, as a citizen of heaven, you don't get to do what everybody else is doing, and you shouldn't want to. Because that shouldn't motivate you. The Bible tells us something about people who are enemies of the cross, and that is very strong language. Paul says their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. They're all about intake. What's going to fill them today? What's going to just move through their system that, that's going to fill that hole in their soul for a temporary fleeting moment? And then they're going to have to go chasing after something else. The Bible says that their mind is on earthly things. What does it mean? It means this. It means people who are citizens of this broken world are living their life by a pledge. And the pledge goes like this. If it feels good, do it. Because if it feels good, it can't be wrong. They've bought into a series of lies. Lies that are spoken in this present world. Lies that I spent half of my life trying to chase. Maybe you'll recognize some of them. Here's one of my favorites. He who dies with the most toys wins. Can I tell you something about that lie? Here's the truth. He who dies with the most toys still dies and just leaves a bigger pile of garbage for their relatives to fight over after they're dead. There you go, okay? Lie number two, Christianity is a crutch for weak-minded people. 
I believed that with all of my heart until I figured out that Christianity is a crutch. And that's really, really good news when you're a spiritual cripple. I learned that there's a lie that says you can do what works for you and keep God happy. The only way to make God happy is to do what God wants you to do, not what you want. As a citizen of heaven, we live our life by another pledge, and the pledge says this, if it's the right thing to do, we're going to do it no matter how it feels or how much sacrifice it requires because that's the level that Jesus went to. Anytime you choose the side of the cross, you've also chosen against another side. And it's unbelievably difficult because that other side, the hellish side, does not take kindly to those who name themselves as citizens of heaven. And we can be a little bit freaked out, but I'll remind you that the Bible also says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It is a spiritual warfare from day one, but that's nothing to fear because Scripture says that battle has already been won by the King of heaven. Number four. As a citizen of heaven, I will act with urgency on the fact that my king is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Nobody knows when. It was not in May. And anybody that tells you they know when he's coming back is lying. Because the Bible says nobody has any clue. What we need to know is that our goal is to share the story of Jesus before it is too late. We have no idea when he's coming back. I vote for 943 on July the 3rd, 2011. That sounds like a great moment for me, all right? And number five, as a citizen of heaven, I will accept that I'm not home yet. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers, said there will be three wonders in heaven. Who is there, who isn't there, and the fact that I'm there. Three wonders. You know, my friends, there's a reason that as a citizen of heaven, you don't feel at home here. Let me tell you why you don't feel at home here. Because this is not your home. You're never going to fit, so why try? You're never going to be a part of the inside circle of this broken world, so why try? I found an amazing letter that was written back in the 4th century. Written by a person who at the time was not a citizen of heaven, but had been observing Christians for a while. They wrote this, Christians are indistinguishable from other men by nationality, language, or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities or speak a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life. And yet there's something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own country as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens, but labor as if they were aliens. They pass their days upon earth while knowing they are citizens of heaven. Ephesians 2 says the same thing. The Apostle Paul says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. That should be a comfort to us. That someday our citizenship, while not being realized on the face of this broken planet, will someday be realized in full. And the Bible says that we've got a future as citizens of heaven that includes this. No more tears. No more pain. No more divorce. No more cancer. No more miscarriages. No more illness. 
No more emergency rooms. No more relational strife. No more economic slowdowns. As a citizen of heaven, we look forward to a day when all of that stuff gets pushed away. And it's just us and the king who reigns in the country that we are called to. Remember the first time I sang the American National Anthem as a citizen? It kind of freaked me out. People would look at me funny whenever people would, other people would sing the anthem because I would always just stand quietly with my hands behind my back because it just didn't feel right to sing a song that didn't belong to me. And then I went to a sporting event and I sang loud. Didn't give a rip about anybody else. I just wanted to sing that particular song. We sing anthems around here as expressions of what's happening deep inside of our hearts. As I was researching this topic, I stumbled across the national anthem of Wales. Any Welshmen in the house today? Yeah, you guys are rare. There weren't any here last night either. I'll tell you what. I love the words to their national anthem. Because it talks about this home and it talks about a heavenly home as well. Here come the words. I vow to thee, my country, all earthly things above. Entire and whole and perfect, the service of my love. The love that asks no question, the love that stands the test, that lays upon the altar the dearest and the best. The love that never falters, the love that pays the price, the love that makes undaunted the final sacrifice. But there's another country that I've heard of long ago, most dear to them that love her, most great to them that know. We may not count her armies, we may not see her king, her fortress is a faithful heart. Her pride is suffering. And soul by soul and silently, her shining bounds increase. And her ways are ways of gentleness. And all her pathways, peace. They're talking about the promise of citizenship, not here. My question is, are you a citizen of heaven? Have you accepted the invitation of Jesus to not declare your independence, but your complete and utter dependence on him? So I figured on this 4th of July weekend, while many of us would be saying our own pledges, that I should probably write my own. So I grabbed my journal and rewrote something that I actually wrote many years ago as kind of an addendum to my life as I became a U.S. citizen. My pledge states as following, as a citizen of heaven, I pledge allegiance to my Savior, Jesus Christ. I've waived my personal rights and daily choose the life of a living sacrifice. I will not hold back. I have chosen my side. My goal line is heaven and my purpose is clear. To live my life as an ambassador to take as many people with me as I can. My prayer is that your heart and purpose supersedes that. I'd like to introduce you to a group of young people who have decided to take the pledge of becoming citizens of heaven to an entirely new level. You know, young people in our modern world today could spend their summer doing a lot of different things. But instead... There's a group of young people who've decided to forego 
fun hanging out and even summer jobs and have decided that they're going to go to Central America. They're going to go to inner city Los Angeles. They're going to spread the word of God and be the hands, the feet, and the mouth of Jesus everywhere that he chooses and has proclaimed them to be. And filing across the stage behind me is an exceptional group of young people who've made the decision to not just talk about being an ambassador, but actually have decided to become one. And it would be awesome if you encouraged and supported not the church of today, or not the church of tomorrow, but the actual church of today. Would you welcome our missions team that's going to be heading out here in just a couple of weeks? Awesome. Very cool. That's cool. This is Pastor Brian. He is our student ministry pastor here doing a phenomenal job. Brian was in my middle school group when I was a youth pastor. To have him here as a second generation is just an amazing thing. Brian, tell us what these amazing people are going to be doing and what you're going to be up to. So we've got two teams, uh, 48 people all together, and one team will be going to Los Angeles, California on a servant leadership experience. They'll be serving on Skid Row and working with homeless and children in Los Angeles. The other team is going to Ecuador. Well, they'll be part of an evangelistic outreach. They'll be uh, also serving homeless in Ecuador. They'll be working with churches, speaking in churches, doing children's stuff. But they'll be doing large-scale festivals, working with, for, and through the local churches, uh, proclaiming the gospel. So these guys have been working since uh, January, raising support. They've raised over $55,000 so far uh, as a team. And uh, they got a little bit to go. And they have been... Uh, training. They've been memorizing their testimony and their story of what God's done in their life personally. They've learned the gospel clearly and articulately so they can share that with others. They've been working on dramas to communicate the gospel cross-culturally. And so uh, we're really excited for them to be able to stand up here as an extension of Christ the King as missionaries today. That you get to send them out. Um, and in, the gospel, in Acts it says, that uh, the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, your hometown, Judea, Samaria, the surrounding cities, and to the ends of the earth. And these guys get to stand up here and be missionaries of Christ the King uh, in their hometown and to the ends of the earth. And so if you want to track us, you can go on the Christ the King Facebook uh, page, and you'll find a link to uh, the team's Facebook stuff, and you'll be able to get updates uh, while we're gone in the next couple weeks. That's fantastic. So church, I'm going to ask you to help me with this. We're going to commission these young people. So would you stand to your feet and extend a hand of blessing towards this outstanding group of young people? And let's bless them and send them in the name of Jesus. Let's pray together right now. Father God, I want to thank you for the fact that before time even began, you wrote out a script for these people that said, on this day, at this time, they would stand in front of fellow citizens of heaven and accept a commission to go and be the hands, the feet, the mouth, and the countenance of Jesus in a broken world. So Lord, we commission them as missionaries from our church. We ask that you would bless the work that they will do, the prayers that they will pray, the testimonies they will speak, the food that they will distribute, the hugs that they will offer to children. God, we ask that you would take that and that you would make it a beautiful offering of sacrifice in heaven. Jesus, we commission them. And we pray, God, that out of this group, out of this group of young people, outstanding in their field, that you would call career missionaries, that you would call pastors, and children's workers, and, and, and worship leaders, 
God, we pray that you would call out elders and deacons and deaconesses out of this group. That you would call out lifelong servants who will serve not just for this little window of time, but for a lifetime. That they will pledge allegiance to the Lamb of God from now until the day when they are translated into heaven and receive the fullness of their heavenly citizenship. God, we commission them. We love them. Lord, we pray for their parents as they stay back here. Lord, if they have any fear about where their child is going, I pray that they would be comforted with the thought and the fact that there is no safer place their child can be than in the palm of Almighty God. So, Father, may they know that with the knowing that their child is being carried, comforted, and protected by you. So, God, we commission them in Jesus' name. We ask that you would do exceedingly abundantly above all they could ask or imagine. Lord, we know that there is a financial gap between what they need And where they are, Lord, we ask that the God of abundant provision would provide as only you can. So, Lord, we love them and set them apart as missionaries. May you bless each and every one of them. And all of God's people agreed together and said, amen and amen.